You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back to Humanize Me. I'm Bart Campolo, the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California, at least until somebody tells me different. And uh, the host of this podcast. That's right. This is my podcast, which means that I can say anything I want on it, which evidently is the problem, or at least that's the impression I'm getting from all the emails that I'm getting and even some phone calls. And recently I even got invited to a meeting. Two guys invited me to a meeting and it turned out that it was kind of an ambush slash intervention And what everybody's saying is you're saying the wrong thing on your podcast, or actually you're not saying the right thing, which is support my podcast. All these people are saying like, listen, we know that these podcasts don't just happen. And frankly, yours is a little erratic. It comes and goes, not on a regular schedule. And we're kind of tired of that. We wish you would be more professional. And I always say, well, I don't have the resources. And they say, why don't you ask for help? And so, all right, so here I am. And I mean, not only am I asking for help, people are saying like, why don't you have a Patreon account like all the other cool kids? You know, because evidently all the cool podcasters have this special Patreon thing, which is how you support artists or people that are making stuff. And uh, all right, so as as we speak, I've got somebody working on setting up a Patreon account. We're going to revamp the website to make it happen. But, you know, in the meantime, you could just go to bartcampolo.org, the website. And there's a place to donate right there. And if you donate right there, it does go to support the podcast. It it, kind of supports the overall work, like the work I do with college students at USC and, uh, and also the counseling and coaching, which is another thing that I hardly ever talk about that people are kind of saying, hey, if you do this, and even if you sort of make a living and support the podcast doing this, you ought to at least talk about it once in a while. And the truth is that I do like I, I counsel and coach people all, all over the place, mostly via Skype, but people who I meet with once a week or once every two weeks who are working through some of them working through religious transitions, some of them trying to start a community and they're looking for a little consulting and help on that. Some of them are just got, they got relational issues or there's some, some kind of big question and they just say, man, I like the way you think. And I feel like if we spent some time together, we could, you could maybe help me work this thing through. And so usually it's not long-term stuff. Sometimes I meet with somebody just once or twice, sometimes, you know, six or eight times. Sometimes it goes ongoing, but most of the time somebody has an issue and they're like, hey, could you think this through and work this through with me? And we do, and then it's over. Um, but, and, and if you want to know more about that, that's at bartcampola.org too. But the fact of the matter is, is that I make people pay for that because it's really intense and time consuming for me. Um, but at any given time, there's always two or three people that can't afford to pay for it that really need it. And so when you support the, when you, when you, when you support the podcast, when you support me at that stuff, that money makes it possible for me to do people at a sliding scale or to do some pro bono stuff with people that are going through really tough stuff in maybe marriages or parenting issues or relational issues, or just kind of how do I get, how do I make sense of life without God issues? And, um, yeah, so if you're into it, you should go there and support it. 
And there, did I do it? I asked for support. All right? And I'm putting it on the website and I'm going to do the Patreon thing. I'm going to be good at this. It's going to happen. I'm getting there, but, but this was a start. All right, now, I'm kind of excited because the conversation I'm going to share with you next is with a guy named Drew Beckius. And Drew is, like me, a former minister. Um, but what he found his way into was when he came out of the ministry, he went through one of those tough transitions that a lot of people go through, especially pe- clergy. And, and, and he got connected to something called the Clergy Project, which was originally put together by, of all people, Richard Dawkins and some folks who said, you know what, there are a lot of people in the clergy, in pulpits and synagogues and places who don't believe in God and, and, they, and they're trapped and they don't have anyone to talk to and, and some of them are worried about losing their jobs or their identities and so they're just lonely folks and they created this online community that you kind of have to jump through some hoops to join. You got to kind of put yourself out there a little bit and then they send somebody to interview because they want to make sure that nobody's going to Nobody's waiting in there to try to reconvert everybody. They want to make sure people are legit. But there are hundreds and hundreds of ministers all over the world that are connected through this clergy project and that are helping each other figure out what it means um, and, 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 how, and how you practically navigate life after, if, you're, if you're a minister who's lost his faith. And Drew was one of those ministers who got into it and then got really into it and then ultimately became a leader in that whole thing and now he's the he's kind of the lead dog on the clergy project and um i noticed his stuff was going around and it seemed like the whole project had gotten re-energized and and re and and revitalized and i I reached out to him and said hey would you want to talk about that stuff and he said yeah let's do it and so I, i think you'll find that he's one of those people who i i like and and i think you'll like and you'll sense a genuine compassion in him um, and a genuine excitement about figuring out how to help people in a tough situation. And if there's one thing that we've all figured out or that, that we're all trying to figure out, and hopefully that this podcast is all about figuring out is, is that the way to make sense of life on the other side of faith, the way to, the way to make the most of this life any way you slice it is by loving other people. And helping other people in practical ways and doing work that makes a difference for other people. And that's what I think Drew is doing. And so, uh, yeah, so I think you're going to dig this conversation. And if you hang in there on the other side, I will be back with an Ingersoll quote because that's what I do these days. All right, here's me and Drew Beckius. Let's go. In what city are you? Chicago. That's right. Okay, so you're like, are you in, are you in like, Big city Chicago, like your downtown, like where the action is. Well, well, maybe somewhere in between. So I am actually in the city. I'm in Chicago, not in those godforsaken suburbs. Uh, but uh, but I wouldn't say I'm downtown. I'm just in the main part of the city. So I don't know how familiar are you with Chicago. Have you? I know it a little bit. What little what, bit? what neighborhood are you in? Uh, yeah, uptown. So if you, oh yeah, I know that well. Yeah. So if you know like Lakeshore Drive that goes. Up and right. shore there. So mm-hmm. I'm on Lakeshore and Lawrence, if by chance, you know, depending on how how well your knowledge of streets may be. No, I know. Well, because I had a friend who used to work at the Uptown Baptist Church. 
oh, which is yeah. right across the street, like or just up the street from Jesus People USA. Absolutely. Which is, you know, one of the bizarre things in that world. Um, and so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I know, like, you're not that far from all that stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Who do you know from Uptown? Uh, Michael? Is that his name? What? Nah, this is, this is in years past. It was a guy named Brian, Brian McLaughlin and, uh, and, my, and, my, and my friend Andy Nolan was there, too. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so I, you know. I mean, back in my, back in that part of my life, I, I got around so much. I traveled so much. So what years was this around? Oh gosh. Let's see. Andy would have been there. This is probably 10 years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I don't remember names there at all. I remember faces, but yeah, I, was kind of in that realm as well. So, so if, I mean, you've been a Chicago guy for a long time. Yeah, 98. 98. Yeah. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Minnesota, small town, central, rural Minnesota. Uh, yeah, so small. What's, I mean, what's, what's the name of it? I'm, I'm, I lived in Minneapolis, so I... I, and, and I okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Malacca is the name. Malacca, so Small yeah. town, 2,000 people. There's a lake near there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's a lake but yeah there's Malax Lake so you have right you yes Malax Lake which is something like the third largest lake in the state which considering there's not 10,000 but 15,000 of them that are more than like 10 square miles depending on how you define a lake versus a pond or whatever um but so so oh, it's it's a big lake no i remember that's lake. that's a big lake yeah Malax is huge but so Malax it like intersects the lake itself intersects with like three different counties, but the southernmost one is Malax County, and then the mm -hmm. seat of Malax County is Malacca. It's actually it's actually almost an hour from the lake itself, like forty five minutes. But uh, yeah, so it's not like right on the lake, but we spent a lot of time there as well. So kind of almost between the Twin Cities and Malax Lake is Malacca, right there. So did you play ice hockey? All right, so. I went to, I believe, the only school, high school in Minnesota that did not have hockey, a hockey team. And uh, so there was no hockey. There was no soccer for those like us. But uh, um, I wasn't really, I would love to say, I would love to say that I, I nonetheless was so committed to the sport and its fame that I played that you created a, a rink in your backyard every every winter. I could say that, but I didn't. Uh, in fact, I didn't even see. I had not seen my first hockey game on TV until uh, the Blackhawks were 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 winning everything uh, recently. I, that was my first hockey game, and I think I only actually watched one. So I'm sorry. I'm a huge disappointment. Feel free to just cut me off. No, no. I mean, I'm just wondering, like in 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 your in your like in what strange religious cult were you a part of in you know the anti-hockey cult it there it wasn't an anti-hockey cult uh my my family was not real big sports people in general not for religious reasons that i know of um, no you were at you, you were actors oh, weren't you so i was so buried within the culture i didn't even know what was what the influences were maybe it was religion it probably was but uh but yeah, um, what, what were what were you guys? Were you actors? Like what what were you? Oh no, no, just rural. So my my dad grew up 
uh, on a farm. And so this was kind of in the process as like small farms were all being bought out by like larger farms. So like now today it's like, it's like probably four or five families like own all the farming area around everything. But my dad grew up on sort of a smaller farm. Uh, and uh, from what I understand, wasn't allowed to play sports or anything like that because there was farm work. There was work to be done. We don't have, you know, uh, yeah. able to have fun after school. You know, that's luxuries for, for you know, I don't know, another class of people. Maybe you'd say, I'm not sure how they would have worded it. But uh, Well, no, they would they would have actually thought it was morally wrong. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, were, they like Nor were they like this Minnesota, like Norwegian, you know, or Swedish or what, you know, something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... I uh, mostly Dutch, Dutch and German is kind of the the orientation or the the background, the ethnicity uh, that most of our community was from. Actually, there were always jokes. There was another smaller community nearby uh, called Pease, and uh, there they uh, it's like all Dutch. the The joke on the street is that everyone is cousins with each other. It's like a hundred people, and they're all related in just this one little town and they all live clustered together with windmills everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, those are serious people. I mean, Germans, Dutch, those are serious people too. Yeah. They're still not, yeah. they're still not fooling around after, after school. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so, so I got, a, I got a question for you because like, we're talking like we're old buddies, but I've never met you. Um, <laughs> yeah. by the way, it's so good to actually be able to talk to you and see you rather than just emailing back and forth. So, yeah, yeah. No. So here's my question. So I was thinking, like, I know that I became aware of you when this clergy, like, when you took over the clergy project. Okay. Or and I and I don't even know if I want to say you took it over because that sounds really yeah, controlling. Definitely. Yeah. I think it is the most hands-off takeover. Okay. <laughs> anyone in all of history, but yeah. But 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 I but like, were were you aware of me? before that before that connection or like you know because like sometimes people are like ah I've kn i knew you. you spoke at my youth group retreat when i was in high school and i'm like oh okay so you have a little yeah. background i'm just like D do you know me from anywhere not that uh not like that i mean i prior to us meeting i had heard of you in my post-faith deconverted life uh, okay you were the son of tony campolo you know but uh um prior to you know maybe a year or two ago no i hadn't heard of oh it, okay so. that, well that's cool that's I'm, probably a better thing you know what strike that yes i grew up with lifelong ambitions to 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 emulate everything that you are so but oh stop <laughs> but no, no i mean so with your with the new book that you and your dad just did so i i think i saw back in january that that was coming out and i was like oh this wow this looks amazing like i'm gonna have to keep an eye out for this and watch it and then you know it kind of slid to the periphery and then just last week or a few days ago i realized that it's out and it's been out for several weeks i'm like oh yeah i gotta pick that up and so i was on amazon and um putting it in my you know my my lineup and whatnot of books to order and uh and then i saw that you had this that you had this book that went back to your your jesus days and it was like oh what was it like in the yeah, I really don't know much of anything about your in Jesus pre post faith days. I don't know. So they are they are well documented, my friend. They are. It looks like they are. Yeah. I might have no, I, that one up just for old time's sake. You know, it's funny because I wrote a book when I first when I was a young guy, just married, and I was starting this 
uh, inner city ministry program that turned into a thing called Kingdom Works that turned into a thing called Mission Year. Um, and, um, and when I was starting that out, I needed, like, I, I didn't have any money. And my dad said, well, you know, write a book with me and we'll, you know, make some money. And so I, I did. I wrote, we wrote this book called Things We Wish We Had Said, which was kind of about our relationship um, back then and, and, and kind of raising kids in, as Christians and all that kind of stuff. And so it's really interesting. It's a really interesting book. Like, and then later I wrote a book about like the kind of people I worked with in the inner city and um, in, in Philadelphia mm. and that, that book, oddly enough, like I can still read that book. Like it stands up for me, like the stories, they had very slight Jesus glosses on them, yeah. but like they were mainly just stories about loving people. Um, and, and, and like I, they still work for me, yeah. but, uh, but the, the, now when I read the first book with this book that I just wrote with my dad, it's very weird. You know, because yeah. um, we're just in such, you know, it's not just that I'm in a different place. Mm. It's that if you really read, if you read him carefully, he's in a different place too. Yeah. 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 But um, that, that but yeah, would be interesting to hear more about his different place as well. But. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. how long were you a Christian? Well, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I prayed the prayer when I was three years old. And so, you know, there's that. Um, but then it was actually so when I really got excited. When did you re when did you recommit your life to Jesus? So yeah. it, was, it was early on. So it, in 94. So it was the summer before my uh, freshman year of high school. That summer, I went to dc 94 you know dc la 94 97 i, I spoke at i spoke oh. at dc 90 whatever the one after 94 was yeah 97 okay yeah i was so, there all right so i was there too so i went to both 94 and 97 so in 94 though i went i just went as this eighth you know post eighth grade getting ready gearing up for high school uh and went with a bunch of kids there was a well for rural Minnesota, it was a bunch of kids. Okay, so 20 yeah. kids uh, packed in a charter bus along with a bunch of other people, went to D.C. And I was just going just, hey, you know, I'm I'm 14 years old and I want to get away from my parents and just live and experience and get away from small town Minnesota and just have a vacation, you know. And so it was like a 10-day getaway, and that's all I was looking for, sightseeing, things like that. And But then I went, man... And the Lord spoke to you. Do their work, Youth for Christ. They put together a good deal because they seized my heart, and uh, and so then I left, like transformed. Uh, I wouldn't say that I rededicated my life per se, but because I was kind of living for Jesus, you know. But you were on you were on fire. Things, but yeah, but I left on fire, right? And so, um, and so then I left from there, and then high school was just like this blur of. Things that when high school's a blur, usually it's not for these reasons. <laughs> so uh, not your typical high schooler experience. And yeah, I was just like on fire for Jesus. And I started this you know, nonprofit initiative thing in my high school that was centered on like Bible studies in high school, bringing God into our schools and things like that. And um, yeah, just captivated. And then in yeah. seven, I went back to D.C. on the on the leadership track. So, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it was fun. Different world. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, you know, doing that stuff. Yeah. So, so okay. So, I mean, like, what's funny is like you are now. What, what's what's your title? 
at the club. Are you the executive director? Yeah. Are you the? I don't have an executive director. It. I am. I suppose technically you'd say president of the board of directors. So is what it is. So being an all led, all volunteer led nonprofit, though you know it. It's just the board directors are the ones leading it, and so yeah. So when you're the president, it's you know it's. Kind and so, are you a volunteer? Yeah, we're all we're all volunteers. Yeah, there's no paid staff of any kind at the clergy project. Oh my gosh, I just assumed that you were the one paid employee of that organization. Yeah, yeah no, no, I'm not. So, uh, and yeah, when I so in <laughs> in let's see, so I I first discovered the clergy project in 2014, and. That's when I, you know, joined, whatever, shortly after I discovered it. And so then it was in 2015 when um, I joined the communications committee. And then a month later, uh, started chairing the committee and joined, joined the board. And so, but when they asked me, <laughs> when, when I was asked, like, hey, you want to you wanna join the, the board? Be the communications committee chair? Like, sure. Yeah. Go to a meeting once a month. Sure. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. Kind of give some perspective, oversee, and then I got in, and it was like, oh no, yeah, the board. The, if you're a board member, that means you're the one actually leading it. And communications director, yeah, that means you're like doing all the communications things. And so I was just like, whoa, do I have time for this? I don't. But but they're like, it's okay. Like nobody really has time for it. We just you know do what we can when we can, and you know, trudge yeah. forward. And so, but yeah, it was a little bit of a. I kind of had the same assumption. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, we're the board and there's somebody's there's, to actually do this stuff or there's this huge network of volunteers and they're like, no, 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 it's really just you. <laughs> and a couple of, there were a couple other people, but yeah. Okay, so, so now I want to back you up just a little bit yeah. to 2014 when you quote unquote find the clergy project. Mm -hmm. because, and the reason is because, you know, I, I don't know the clergy project really well, but I, yeah, but, but I, but, but I, it was, it is this thing that I did discover myself shortly after my deconversion. It feels like when ministers deconvert, at some point, somebody says to them, hey, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you should check out the clergy project. Yeah. And, and, you know, when people ask me what it is, I tell them it's like this kind of secret society of people that are either still in ministry or who have left ministry. Um, you know, and, and deconverted and, you know, and, and are sort of trying to help each other figure out what life looks like on the other side of faith. What do you tell people now that you're in and you know it? Yeah. What do you tell people when they say, what's the clergy project? Well, I mean, first of all, I would say what you said sounds great. Like you really, <laughs> you really presented it well and with so much more mystique. Than yeah, it's cool. I love it. Now I'm going to start calling it a secret society from now on as well. But, um, but no, what I say, so. Clergy Project is an organization that uh, that works to provide uh, community support, sense of hope to current and former religious leaders, religious professionals who no longer hold supernatural beliefs. I mean, that that basically is almost word for word what the actual mission statement is. So, I mean, but step away from that, basically what to really break it down, what it is, what we do is we're an organization. We started off as just the project itself, but now that we've become our own 501c3 two years ago. Now you would say more technically, we, the clergy project is an organization that provides uh, a variety of elements of support for uh, 
former and current religious leaders who are post-faith, no longer believe. Um, that, and the main element of that support is this private online community of forums uh, where uh, religious leaders who no longer believe in any supernatural supernatural elements where they can come together, support one another, encourage one another. It's providing peer support. It's providing community where they can come together and really kind of partner with one another and help each other, uh, you know, transition to whatever might be next. And we really hold that open as far as what might be next. I think oftentimes um, it's kind of assumed that we have sort of this set program where, okay, you were this and now you need to become this and we're going to partner with you and help you become what you need to be. Where we say, no, we actually take a, a hands-off approach and say, no, you've been quite possibly, depending on your tradition, depending on your own personal story, quite possibly you've been told your entire life what you have to believe, what you have to think, what you have to do. And the last thing you need is to come to us and now be given a new set of marching orders and what you have to think feel and do. And so we say, no, it's all up to you. You're in control, man. Uh, you're in the driver's seat. We just want to surround you with perspectives, with individuals who have been there and can kind of weigh in their two cents and take what you want to take and leave what you want to leave. Um, but we simply want to provide the tools per se to help you one, decide what it is you want next, what it is that you now believe, what it is that you now think, and then move forward from there in actualizing those things and achieving those things. Um, so for instance, no, that, that, I, yeah, go, no, go ahead. What, what I was going to say is like, yeah. that's really interesting to me because I feel like at this point I encounter people as one of those, like, like as one of those options where somebody goes like, Oh, like secular humanism or the idea of being a building community and doing like building a kind of a church like structure for people so that they can still experience fellowship and, and a sense of mission and a larger narrative that orients them to the world. All these things that like people come to me and go like, man, I'm dying with like, I lost my faith and I need something to replace it with. Can you help me? And I'm like, Oh yeah, here's an option. Yeah. Like, like, making the most of this life through loving relationships, blah, 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 mm -hmm. all my stuff. And it's funny because when I first encountered the clergy project, you know, my, my tendency in my evangelical way is to go, is to want to impose that and go like, well, you're going to have to help these people see that mm -hmm. since they're, they were religious by nature, like they, they that's how they structure their lives. They're going to need to replace that. And, and I'm, I'm grasping now that you're like, that is the last thing we want to do. Yeah is tell anybody like, oh, listen, you're in this difficult, you're in this troubled place, you know, yeah. you're, 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 you're lost. And, and this is, here's the, here's the path that you should walk upon. Yeah. Um, Cause that's like, it'll trigger every bad, right. bad kind of mojo in those people's lives. I mean, imagine that that is what supernaturalism does, depending on the tradition says, listen, you, you've lost your way and right. we're going to bring you now on the way. Or, or they'll say even better yet, you are now free. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the family. You have found freedom in this. And now let us show you exactly what that has to be as we cage you within it. Where we're saying, listen, no, there's no caging. The last thing you need is to be like, hey, you're free. Welcome to free thought. 
welcome to free living. You're no longer caged by supernaturalism or certain definitions of religion. You're no longer encaged by this welcome to freedom, and now we're going to lock you into a certain view of secular humanism or whatever it may be. Now you yeah. need to be uh, you know, a socially liberal activist, and now you need to you know, do this or whatever it may be. No, take your time. Figure it out on your own. Here's some thoughts and resources along the way. It's funny because you know, Eric Fromm, I think it was, wrote a, wrote a book that I love the title. It was, it was called Escape from Freedom. Yeah. And I think that's, that's when I encounter people. It's probably like after, after they've been free for a while. Yeah. And then sometimes people are like, can you give me a cage? <laughs> like, you know, I, and I, I don't know if you know, like that's how you, that's if you ever lose like a, a gerbil or a guinea pig, <laughs> do you know how you catch it? open up the cage door and it'll you just leave the cage yeah. open door open overnight and it'll be back in the cage by morning because like it wants structure it wants Absolutely. it wants it wants a way of you know it wants a, a safe space and i think i meet a lot of people who are lone who have been free for a long time and they are lonely yeah um not and, and they've met other people that are free but when they meet other people that are free it's sort of like being at a youth hostel in europe Mm -hmm. And everybody's traveling on their own. I'm like, we're all here together, but like, we're not really together and we're all going different directions. And they're like, no, no, no. I want to be like on the tour. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like I want to be on a bus with a bunch of people that like want to see the same stuff I want to see and want to go where I want to go. And we go together. Yeah. And so, so like, it's so interesting because I can see that like, yeah, that's nice for some people, bro. But like y you put, you know, I, you don't want to put people on the tour bus too fast. Right. So, and so here's, here, and here's where I think that goes. So I think you give people freedom to think what they want to think, feel what they want to feel. You're providing them resources. But I think once people, I think you're exactly right, where once people have that freedom, they, they're looking for something to connect themselves into. I mean, we're, we're looking yeah. for a framework. They're looking for... so. So much of the, you know, so the clergy project kind of centers on this online community forums that we provide. And so you'll have all kinds of different discussions on all kinds of different things. Some of them are going to be much more practical, how to, hey guys, I'm going through this messy divorce and I'm totally, totally lost. Like, help me, you know, those who have been there before, help me with this. But then you'll have other stuff that's a lot more philosophical in nature, a lot more uh, dealing with ethics or morality or, you know, these kinds of things. And they're looking for something to plug into. And that's where that's provided, but not by TCP, the clergy project as an organization. It's not provided by the hierarchy uh, or by the board. No, it's provided by the community as they come in. And they might have different perspectives to offer, but yeah, generally it's, it's all very similar for the most part, very few outliers, but people are looking for that perspective. They connect into it because they do want it. They want to be, I don't know that I like the word caged in, but they want a structure no, to connect to. What, what, I mean, that's, and then they find that and they move on from there. So it's not so much that we don't want anyone to have structure. It's that we want their, we want the freedom for different structures to emerge or evolve and for then our participants to be able to freely kind of choose the nuancing or you know where it goes from there in their lives and experiment with it and maybe let it evolve in their own lives beyond what they saw within from the community yeah 
I mean, I, I often say like we're tribal animals. We're tribal by nature. Well, yeah. And so, and so if you leave somebody out there, if they leave their tribe, yeah, which is what it feels like for a lot of us when we leave, when we leave that organized Christianity, yeah. When you're, th- th- you may, you may wander around out there for a while and you may actually want to visit a few tribes and look around and everything, but it, there comes a point at which you're like, okay, this has been fun, but like, I want to, I, I want to tribe again. Yeah. Especially I would think like, what's funny is like, I meet people who are like, I'm just not a joiner. Like I'm not into like, you know, yeah. you, you, you do meet people that have a lower need for community or a lower need for mm-hmm. kind of that kind of structured way of Al- thinking. Uh, and yeah. Right. That stuff plays into but, it. Yeah. But typically people that have been ministers or people who have been highly involved in church, mm-hmm. the reason they were drawn to ministry and being highly involved in church is because they kind of like that stuff. Sometimes they even like leading that stuff. I think it depends though. One thing I saw and this, this goes back to before I was, you know, in, before I was post-faith and I was, you know, a pastor is I noticed early on that, you know, I kind of assumed probably like we all do more or less assumed that everyone was entering ministry and church work, church life for the same reasons I was right. Obviously everyone's doing it for the same reasons as me. And yeah, I kind of had those assumptions that, yeah, these are all going to be highly people oriented individuals who thrive in social contexts and love leading organizations and communities and whatever. And I saw probably more often than not other pastors who were more drawn, and maybe this speaks more to the tradition I come from than anything else, but who were more drawn into ministry through a love for theology and analysis and research and study. And they just spend all week cloistered away from the community. God, that's what we hire other staff for. And they'll just sit at their desk all week, just studying and researching and Greek and Hebrew and, and, you know, putting crafting together. And then they get up there on Sunday mornings and they have their, their sermon, you know, that is all tightly pointed and concise and full of terminology. And, right. you know, what do those guys, what do those guys interest? Yeah. What do those guys do when they lose their faith? Because like, for me, like if you're a people person, if you're a community builder, if you're a you know, a, a, a natural sort of mission, kind of like, where's a problem? Let me try to fix it. Person, there's a lot to do on the other side of faith. If you're a theological sermon, you know, banger, like, what do you do when it's over? Well, I think those are the guys who find, you know, I think, you know, those are the guys, those are the ones who find their community on a new intellectual level, a redirected intellectual level. So they're the ones who are just consuming mass amounts of books and, you know, uh, you know, deep, re- highly researched studies and just cramming podcast after podcast after podcast, nothing against podcasts, but, you know, just the ones who are just in it, just studying, thinking, learning. Um, I wish I could say more of that for myself. Um, that's just yeah. so much how I'm geared and wired. So, um, but so let me ask you, they find that. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is like I, you and I have slipped into a funny thing where we're like, those guys, what do those guys do? Like, it's all, as if it's all guys, but is the clergy project like all guys? Is it like a boys club? So it is less of a boys club. I would suggest that it's less of a boys club than what religion itself is. So we have approximately it, it, it 
kind of goes back and forth, hovering around 15% female participation, by participation, basically members, um, and, uh, and then 85% male. And I get questions on that from time to time, like, what the hell? Like, where's all the women? Like, wh what's going on? You know, how come you're all guys? But I think it, and I think if it was just more of an open, uh, open enrollment, you know, a secular organization that would be, you know, e even more of a valid critique. Here, I think, considering the fact that our uh, forum participation, in order to be a registered participant, you have to be a current or former religious leader. And as you look around the world, the vast majority, I mean, how many religious traditions don't even allow a woman to enter religious service? You know, so. I would suspect, and I haven't done a scientific study of this, but I would suspect that our 15% female ratio is much higher than the ratio of all the world's religious- Women clergy, or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of like if, if you're going to run a, uh, an organization for ex-NFL players, you're probably also going to have a very high male- quotient yeah probably yeah, yeah and the because the nfl does the discriminating for you right exactly right exactly yeah. um okay gosh that's great it gets you off the hook like you don't have to you know like <laughs> no but you know what i mean like you always feel guilty when your organization is like all white and male yeah and like you go like hey look i had nothing to do with this but we do work we do intentionally work to to prom to promote uh, our, you know, more of a diversity. So for instance, um, when I was, you know, I'm, I'm not communications director anymore, but, but when I was, you know, uh, one thing that I would look to do as we would seek out, you know, when people visit clergyproject.org, our public website, uh, when people visit clergyproject.org, the number one, uh, part of the website that, gains attraction and visitors is what we call the our stories blog and our stories we put up from time to time it's it's not a, a specific interval or a specific timeline but every so often as we find new participants that are willing to share their stories just a brief uh deconversion account of their life how they came to faith or how they how they why they entered religious service uh what happened that uh drew them uh, to no longer believe in God and where they're at today. Just nice, short, concise. As we find individuals who want to share those stories, we, uh, we, you know, we publish them, we put them up. Always gains all kinds of attention. And we do work to try and say, listen, if we're not careful, you know, it can look like, yeah, like it's all Americans, all males, all of Christian tradition, Christian background. Uh, and let's, and, and it's not that. And so let's intention, let's make sure that though the vast majority are all of those things, uh, let's, you know, try and show people that we are more than just that. And anyone who maybe is a, an atheist, Buddhist monk in Thailand, who's checking out the clergy project website, clergyproject.org, uh, if they come across and they just see this nonstop list of American Americans who are of Christian tradition, well, boy, this isn't for me. And we want them to say, no, it is for you as well. But, but let me stop you there because, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, I'm a white male American former pastor. Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of those. 
they have a unique set of problems uh, or, or issues when it comes to jobs, when it comes to family stuff, how it affects, how it impacts their marriages, how it impacts their, their earning prospects. And, you know, like, and you go like, maybe those people have something in common with each other that they really don't have in common with uh, a, a Buddhist, a, a Buddhist monk or an ex imam in Iran. Mm-hmm. And you go like, there should really be a club for ex imams in Iran because they've got their own issues yeah. to deal with. Yeah. But like, I don't think it's necessarily a flaw if a group of people with a similar kind of set of issues find each other and, and work with each other. No, I, I agree. I agree that it wouldn't be a flaw um, for whatever reason when, as in those early days, as the project was finding, kind of finding its place, finding its voice, finding its mission, uh, they decided, and this was long before I came along, but they decided that they wanted to make it open to those of all religious background. Uh, no, no, and, and that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. and that, that makes sense to me yeah. too in the sense of, it makes sense to me that if you're a bunch of secular people starting something called the Clergy Project, in some sense, it's almost political to sort of go like, from one perspective, all religions are the same. Yeah. So, and, and so you, you don't want to differentiate. What you'll have uh, is so within the online community of forums that we have on our secret, what did you call it? Secret, secret society, man, secret society. So got a handshake or <laughs> we, we need to get one. So, yeah. Um, but within that online community of forums, the secret society online, uh, there's also the opportunity to create and anybody can create them sort of smaller community forums, like sub communities. And, uh, and so we do have some, so we have one that is specifically those, uh, who come from, uh, Eastern religious traditions, uh, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism and whatnot. Uh, we have others, we have one that is specifically, uh, those who come from Roman Catholic background. Um, cause the- do you have one for women? Do you have one for women? I do not believe so. Uh, okay. not that there couldn't be. Um, right. but I don't believe that anyone has asked for one at this point. Um, but yeah, anyone can create one. I don't think that one has been created though yet, but uh, so, so I have, I have another question for you. Like, and I, I hate to interrupt you. Like, no, I, no, like, no, it's like, absolutely. It's no, because people always say to me, like Bart, the worst thing about your podcast is you interrupt and I, and I do, and, and I know it, I'm sorry. In, but in conversation, but, but, just as I am right now, I am the worst interrupter. All right. So, so now that I've interrupted you in return, we're equal. Go ahead. See, it was funny because like when you were talking about how the most popular thing on the site, when people first get into that stories page. Yeah. When I talk to you, Mm -hmm. like my temptation is to go like, tell me your story. And then I think like, you know what? Like you heard one of these stories, you heard them all. Like like, deconversion stories are just like, you know, it's funny. I have this friend who does a little bit of what you do, not only with the clergy project, but also with. Because I know, like you, you actually coach and work with people individually sometimes yourself. And also, I have a friend named John Delin who's down in Utah, yeah. and he he runs something called Mormon Stories, oh. and it's not just for clergy; it's for just. All, yeah. I mean, his podcast has twenty thousand listeners. Wow! And all all he does, I mean, not all he does, but one of the most common things he does is he just gets somebody on there and they just tell their Mormon deconversion story oh, week after week 
person after person. And, and, and these Mormons, they're fascinated by it because it's this weird thing that they have in common. And that church is so, um, sort of so much an all encompassing part of life. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and so, so it's a wonderful thing. Like I'm going to have him on the podcast at some point, but, but, um, but the weird thing is, John, I'm just like, John, do people really just want to keep hearing the same deconversion story? Over? Like I, you know, and then it didn't make sense to me. And I started reading the Bible and then I saw this, I read this book by Sam Harris or like, you know, okay, like we, we know this story. Um, so I'm always interested in what happens after that. Mm. And so to, to, to me, that's where I'm like, what I, if I went to the clergy project page, what I would be interested in is like, and on the day after my deconversion, yeah, start the story there. This is where Cause, now, because what I want to know is like, what the heck happens to these people, and how do they work things out? That that's, you know, and, and what's interesting about the clergy project is, is that when I first came out of Christianity, I mean, I'm a member of the clergy project. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, and and I got initiated in like that. The funny thing is, here's my clergy story, my my the clergy project story. Yeah, yeah. So I come out of this thing and somebody reaches out to me. I don't even know who it was and says, Hey, you know, cause like I, I got outed by somebody like, like, you know, like I, okay. I was out to all my friends and like in my family and all that stuff, but I was just doing my stuff in, in Cincinnati. I wasn't, you know, organizing anything. So I, you know, I didn't feel the need to write an article or anything, but somebody found out and it gets in some magazine and whatever. So then this guy reaches out to me and I, I look it up and I think like, oh, I'll check this out. And so I, you know, send in the, I, you email to say you're interested. Yeah. And then somebody reaches out to you. It's like, you know, like, wait, you, you'll get a call. And, <laughs> and so I get the call from this guy who interviews me, mm -hmm. which I think is really righteous because you want to make sure that somebody's not sneaking in there so that they can mess with all the clergy because mm -hmm. people do that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of trolls and other oh. villainous oh my gosh and they find yeah. now i i'm they find me all the time oh. um there's a lot of people and and, and, and some of them are, are mean some of them are mean and some of them just want to save my soul so they're just sending me books and they're sending me poems and they're like have you considered this you're like the reversal of franklin graham Okay, because when Franklin Graham, are you familiar with this? So, Yo, oh, yes, I know Franklin Graham. Yeah, man, he grew up, he was a rebel. You know, he was the black sheep of the family. He was the one destined to hell. And then he turned into whatever the hell he is now. So, yeah. A huge and flaming asshole. He turned into a <laughs> yeah, huge and flaming asshole. what it is. I'd rather have the rebel. But, uh, but yeah, but he's, yeah. he's an asshole for Jesus. On, yes, he is on fire for Jesus. On, honestly, that could be his, that could be his mission statement. I'm an asshole for Jesus. I mean, cause he's just, he's terrible to women. He's terrible to people in other countries. He's Islamophobic. He's just a bad dude. You know, like he, yeah, I mean, he, he and his president are having a great time right now. And he was, um, he was celebrated though, when he came back to Jesus, I remember yeah. when he, Oh man, I remember that everybody was just praising God. That oh dude. Franklin Graham has come back to Jesus. My son, my son, tells me like if we ever get really hard up for money he said like i know all you need to do is come back like that's, that book will sell that's true um, that's true so but 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 i guess my point is when i came out of the when i when i yeah. when this clergy project guy reaches out to me yeah we end up having this like hour phone conversation just a delightful conversation with this guy 
and you know he's talking to me about his life and i'm i'm telling him what i'm what i'm doing now and the work i'm i'm, I'm sort of contemplating what my wife and i are doing and he's like he said bar you know i gotta tell you like you have it pretty easy like your parents your family's being really great to you your wife has deconverted about the same time as you have you already seem to have a real sense of what you're doing, the community that you're living in. Cause the community I was part of in Cincinnati, they were like, yeah, we're still like, we're, we're not a Christian community. We're just a community of people that love the poor. And so like, they were fine with me. Everybody's cool. So he's like, you know, you're not really our typical dude. Um, but he was wonderful. And he said, you know, I still would like you to participate if you can. So I, I hung up. I never thought about that guy again. Yeah. I'm in Phoenix speaking to the, Humanist Society of Greater Phoenix two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And this guy comes up to me and he says, hey, I'm John. I'm the guy you talk to. Yeah. And I, you know, I threw my arms around him. I was like, you were so nice to me at a moment when I wasn't entirely sure that there was a whole world out there that was going to be nice to me. Yeah. Um, and so like, it was just so beautiful to put a human face on that. I don't know how often that happens that somebody gets to meet their sponsor. Right. Um, but it was pretty cool. No, yeah. And John is awesome. He's a great guy. And he, Oh, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, he told me uh, the other day that, hey, yeah, I talked with Bart the other day. Oh, he's such a great guy. You know, I saw I, <laughs> I didn't know that he was your screener, but uh, but he was like, yeah, yeah, I saw him at this. What he was speaking conference or whatever it was. And uh, and I went up to him afterwards. It was, oh, it was so good to see him again. But John is so great. He's he's actually our vice president. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. He's also our screening director. So he, he doesn't do all the screenings personally. He has a team, but he does some of them himself. Just depends on who's available and whatnot. He was actually my screener as well. And so I don't know if John remembers this, but when he screened me at the end, he said something akin. This might be a bit of a paraphrase, but he said, uh, he said, dude, you're really fucked up. <laughs> he said, are you in therapy? You need to be in therapy. But yeah, no. So. And, and were you, were you fucked up when you first came out? You know, did the, and did the, I guess, yeah, were you? Yeah, you know what? I, I was throughout my deconversion experience, I did, it, it was not an easy process of walking, of really letting go of my faith. It was not an easy process at all. But I was in therapy and uh, my, oh man, my therapist, oh, he's so amazing. He is, he's this guy, Dr. Ray. And Dr. Ray, he, he does bring, he's not a, he's not strictly secular, but he's also not Christian. His sort of his, his blend of perspectives is Taoism, Buddhism, and Zoroastrianism. And he's, he's fucking amazing. He makes you do some kind of weird shit because it's a little woohoo, some of it, but he's fucking great. And he doesn't bring any of the, you know, trying to make you, you know, woo you back to the faith or make you feel, no, no, he's go wherever wherever it takes you with life. But, um, did you lose, did you lose a relationship? To, like, did, did, was your deconversion hard? Did you lose people? I did. I mean, I not nearly as hard as what some have. I have not been, I'm not one of those situations where I've been completely cut off and shunned like a good friend of mine. Who's another leader at the project. He, uh, you know, he was completely, cut off from his family. He, uh, his children now have children. So his children, uh, cut him off from seeing the grandkids. He hasn't seen his grandkids in I think close to 10 years. Um, you know, he's just completely cut off because, yeah. because Jesus, 
because right. of this, you know? And so um, he's completely cut off. So for him, it's hard. For me, I haven't been officially cut off from anyone, but they, my family is quite conservative. And it just, you know, they, they really, to their credit, they really work hard. They were, my parents are great on so many levels. Um, but it's just kind of this awkward tension that's always there because they, they never feel the need to air their concerns. You know, they're not like, Hey, well, let's pray real quick. We know you don't believe, but let's pray. You know, they don't do any of that. They're not trying to woo me back, anything like that. Um, but nonetheless, the truth is, is they believe I'm going to hell, you know, and that saddens them. And so it's, it's just kind of, you know, this this new dynamic. And there's so much that we used to talk about that we don't now just because it it's not. There, wow. You, you know, know, yeah, the, the hell thing is a huge like the, I, I, I know there are gradations of everything, but I find that there is a huge line between the Christians whose families think they're going to hell. Yeah. And the Christians whose families are disappointed because they're not part of the tribe, but like they, they believe in a God who is sort of gracious with everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I find that the, you know, one of the things that I was just out talking to a bunch of folks um, at the humanist hub at Harvard for Greg Epstein. Do you know, do you know those people? Uh, somewhat. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, but yeah. And, and, and so I was there with my dad. My dad and I did, that was the, our one joint appearance behind this book. Um, I mean, we've done some podcasts and radio things, but like, you know, he lives in Philly. He's an older guy and, you know, I, I, I'm here and I'm stuck. And so we don't travel a lot together, um, but we did this one thing together. It was, and, and, and afterwards, you know, so many people were talking to me and, and I think they were just so jealous that my parents can like, don't look at me like a dead man walking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's very hard to continue to love somebody when you think that they're doomed because it's just so painful. It's painful to be in a relationship with somebody that you're going to have to let go of and that you're, you know, in, in, in that kind of awful way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, I ended up talking to these people about like teaching my secular friends liberal Christian theology and sort of saying like, you're going to need to learn how to quote these verses to your parents. You're going to need to know, know how to make this kind of a case, a Christian case. I said, Christianity is their language. And so you're going to have to speak in their language, but you need to become a good Christian theologian of openness. Yeah. Rather than coming at them and going like that Bible that makes you think I'm going to hell is wrong. And there is no God and there is no hell. Yeah. Right. You have, you have to accept that there, in their in their reality, there is a hell, and now you have to make a case for why Jesus isn't sending you there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely for me, I. For some of them, for yeah. some of them, that's you know. Yeah, no, I think I I think that's definitely a great alternative to just trying to get in these huge fights and you know whatever. And well, and I think it, you know it depends on the person. For some, you know not the person in my situation, but family members for those people depends on the person with them. And, you know, what kinds of discussions are they open to having, you know, is, is even talking, you know, for instance, and I think for a lot of people, and I think for, for a lot of my family as well, and obviously not every person I'm related to falls into the exact same profile of, of person. And there's actually, there's a few people 
uh, among my various relations who are actually really cool and you know love this you know so and I get huge support though they're a little a little more on the down low about it they don't like to be too loud in their support but um but which another interesting side topic is all the secret uh contacts I've received from people who I knew previously you know a missionary at this church that I used to pastor and the miss- missionary contacts me and is like yeah I think this is really cool I'm not sure I believe either but um but so but you know for a lot of my family members I think I have now and other people others like me have been put in a box where anything I might have to say about the Bible is now completely discredited obviously I don't have the Holy Spirit and so if I don't have the Holy Spirit uh, within me, directing my understanding, my my reading of the text, my interpretations of it. If I don't yeah. have the spirit, with it, then obviously I'm I'm not an authoritative uh, an authority on the issue of what the Bible means. So for me to stand up and be like, hey, well, when you read this verse, it really says, you know, look at it. It says this. This should open you to that. Um, they're just gonna look. Well, of course you'd say that. You don't believe that it's real. You know what? It, what who does believe says this. You know. You know what it boils in some ways. What it boils down to is like because I don't say like I'm not authoritative either. Obviously, yeah. you know. Like, but what I can do is ask questions and go like, but I remember this or like doesn't isn't there a verse that says like or what do you think that means? You know, like like so I, I sort of try to play it in the in the sense of a question. But here's the thing: it only works if they're trying to find a way to redraw the circle so you're in it. So there are some people who are desperately, I I meet a lot of Christian parents who are desperately looking for a way Mm. to feel okay about their kid. The same way that people used to with gay kids. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and so so if you could show them a way to have hope. They're eager and hungry to do. They were like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, and so, uh, you know, so like what's weird is, you know, sometimes people, I jokingly, like, I feel like I have a ministry to Christians sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that is to try to portray for them a, a way of life and to tell them about what it's like to follow after goodness without God. Yeah. So that, the, and, and what I'm sort of saying to them is so if your kid loses his faith, it doesn't mean they're going to be out in the wilderness. It doesn't mean that they're going to become a bad person. Like there's this other way. Like, look, I have a community here and I have so many Christian parents who actually send me money, hmm. you know, yeah. and, and like not huge amounts of money, but they send money and they say, I love what you're doing for those college students. I wish there had been a group like that for my son when he was in college because he was, he's not a Christian and I would have loved for him to be involved in a fellowship of love and support and social justice. Some people that share our values. Yeah. Um, and so there are a lot of Christians that are like excited. Gosh, I hate it when I use the word like in that way. There are a lot of Christians <laughs> that are excited. Yeah. Who are about excited. Yeah. About the idea of there being hope for their kid even though they know their kid's never coming back. Yeah. And I think they want that hope. Like I, they want to believe their kid can have a good life on the one hand. And then they want to believe that their kid might be, um, might, might, that God might look favorably upon their kid in eternity on the other. Yeah. And so for those people, it's meaningful to share, to, to give them some Christian hope. 
Yeah. Yeah. Since that's the only language that they really can receive it in. Right. Right. Yeah. So what, so, yeah. so, so, so like, I, I mean, like you and I will talk lo longer, like in real life. Yeah. But like, but I have this one question for you that I still, I want to get like in the podcast part of this thing. Yeah. And that is like, what's next for you? Like, because the truth of the matter is the clergy project for all the time, you know, I've been out for like five, six years, seven years now. I can't even remember how many years. Yeah. For most of that time, the clergy project was to me a very anonymous set of like, it was this website and it was this, these, these forums that I wasn't that interested in because I was just on with my life. Right. But the, right. Yeah. but the, but the other thing was it didn't have a face to me. It didn't, ha it didn't have an identity to me. I didn't know like, who are those people and, and what are they trying to do? It wasn't until, and, and like, I'm not just trying to puff you up, but like, it wasn't until you actually started like writing letters with your name on it and your picture yeah. and you're like, and, and you started to, and, and, and also you were able to clarify for me that this is what we're trying to do for people. And we're not trying to jam anything down their throats. We're trying to create a safe space for people to figure out what comes next for them. Right. And I go like, I feel like you've created an identity for this thing. And I guess what I'm asking is, is what comes next for this thing now? Like where, where is it going? Yeah. With the clergy project. I, yeah. What are you, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, so there's a couple different elements to this as everything has many elements to it, I suppose. But, uh, we have lots of, I mean, there are so many different ideas, things that we would love to do. Some of them are a little bit more in close and upfront discussion right now. Um, how we could evolve, what we want to do, who we want to become as an organization, as a community. Uh, some of it is services we want to offer. Others of it is more just continuing to define ourselves. We're still kind of young. You know, I mean, sure, the project started in 2011, but it was more just a project that was run by other organizations and other individuals. Where then who started? Who started it? Uh, it was a collaborative effort, um, including uh, Richard Dawkins, Dan Dennett, Dan Barker. Those were the uh, Linda Lascola. Uh, okay. Those were kind of the primary individuals that you would recognize the names of, and then yeah. a few other individuals who you know were more regular people. A couple of them who started it were actually used a pseudonym and were closeted the whole time. Uh, if you've heard of um, uh, uh, Carter Warden, he actually just came out. He was closeted the whole time. We knew him as Adam Mann uh, was the pseudonym he went by. And uh, he was one of the leaders of the clergy project, but nobody, not even the other founders knew who he actually was. And then he, uh, in October, it's like Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he came in October at the uh, freedom from religion foundations, annual conference. Uh, that was his first public outing he came out wow. and everybody knew adam man was coming but nobody even then knew who he was and then he stands up he's like all right hi everyone my name is carter warden uh and uh, until recently until you know just a, a i think at that point it was just a few weeks ago he had finally wrapped up his uh where by then he had he had slowly weaned off where he was at that point a part-time pastor and then that finally ended that ended a it a week yeah. prior and he was like all right and now i'm done and 
I'm out. I'm free. Hello, everyone. I'm Carter. You know, nice to meet you. Um, so there were a few different individuals like that. The Freedom From Religion Foundation and the Richard Dawkins Foundation specifically uh, worked together to help fund and get it off the ground. But then anyway, uh, it was in 2015, uh, just two years ago, January of 2015, when we became our own 501c3. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's really important. I didn't know that. I thought it had been around a lot longer. Yeah. And I think that's really an important thing for me to know and for other people to know because, and I, like, because now I want to, now, now, now I'm like, oh, I want, you know, like, how can I help? Yeah. Like, I, because the need, like the understanding that I have that there are, I mean, you have hundreds of people in your, yeah. in your, in your crew, like, like how many hundreds, like 500? Uh, about 770 is what we're seeing right now. But that, but that number can be a little deceiving in that that is the number of registered participants, many of whom registered or maybe involved for a short time and then just kind of drifted off, didn't need it anymore. And so they drifted off from the project and haven't really been connected. So that's not to say we have 770 who are actively participating today. No, but no, but like total, total registrants. Yeah. And I think it, I mean, like, I know you're still figuring out your identity. I mean, like, I sort of think that ultimately, if you were what I, if you were what I think you could become, yeah. you would be a revolving door. And that is people would come in and then they would leave, if you will, like they might be alumni, but they would be like, yeah, that clergy project helped me through my transition, helped me figure out what came next. And like, you know, the, the only reason they would step, they would come back would be to help other people. Right. You know, like, like right. they, they helped me sort of like AA, like, yeah, they helped me. And then some people come back and like, I want to sponsor other people. You know, I want to help other people, but it doesn't seem like it should be a place that people live forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, the idea behind it does kind of it, the concept, whether or not it actually works this way practically with everyone, usually not, but kind of the concept is it's community, um, roughly one third between a quarter and one third have always been currently active in their ministries, most of them closeted at the same time, though there have been a few who are like, no, I'm going to stay in ministry forever. I'm public. I'm an atheist. And yet I'm still ministering in my congregation because that's how our congregation is evolving. Uh, which right. is awesome. I love that shit. The Greta Vosper model. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so there's a few of those. Uh, but kind of the idea is that then, right, the other two thirds to three quarters, they continue, they stay and they kind of then surround one. They're continuing to work out their own transition beyond that. But then you have those who have been, who have already been transitioned for a couple decades even, and they're there and just kind of coming alongside the others, be it leading the organization as a whole, or be it just there to participate in conversation, to dialogue with others, kind of, as you say, like sponsoring to use the AA model, though it's not such a formalized. No, no, I know. Yeah. But I like that idea though, of having a more formalized sponsoring and I would love to see that possibility. It'll be interesting to see where that, how that evolves in possibly making it more formalized as the years go ahead in terms of really partnering with people one-on-one. -on -one. Well, you know, from a personal perspective, yeah. one of the things people often are, are and, and, and I'm not sure how to say this well, but yeah. I see a tremendous need among people in general for com communities, for places where they can pursue goodness collectively and, and 
and people are lonely and, and, and we live in a disconnected society. And so the kind of stuff that I do, one of the things that people say is when I go to these atheist clubs, when I go to these skeptic societies, when I go to these things, they're just, they're not warm. They're not welcoming. They're, 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 they're all, they're anti-theist instead of, you know, something positive about how am I going to live my life? And so they say, you know, what we're looking for, we want more leaders who know how to build that kind of community. And I always say, like, oddly enough, the, the next generation of great humanist community builders are all hiding in church right now. Yeah. Like they're people that. Oh, absolutely. The, these, these are people that are gifted. And, and, and part of the reason they stay in church is because they want to exercise those gifts. They want to, they want to use their talents as a community builder and they want to, they want to do it around morality issues and around social justice. And they think the church is the only place that they can do that. And so they're willing to kind of like hold their nose and deal with the dogma that they don't really buy just so that they can stay part of that thing. But I, I always say like, like the first thing is number one is they'll come out when there's a place for them to come to. But the other thing is, as I say, like, like the people that I think are going to build those communities, a lot of them are former, former clergy folk. Cause they, they, and so I think that the whole, the larger secular world, the larger world, just humanity has a vested interest in trying to help make it possible for people with those kinds of gifts to exercise them. Yeah. And to get out and, 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 and to find, to see their way out of a really, a place where many of them are really blocked and really very frustrated. And, and now I know that a lot of people that leave the, the clergy, they're not just burned out on God. They're burned out on. That's true. Shitty churches and well, people that treated them like crap. And a lot of believing pastors are yeah. burned out on all that bullshit. So, so I know, right. So I know that when a lot of people leave the ministry, they're not like, they're not like me who, when I left Christianity, I was like, okay, what does it mean to be a humanist minister? Like, cause like, I just want to love people, you know, yeah. and, 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 or like you, like, but there are a lot of really wonderfully gifted people. And I think like the people that are going to know how to welcome people and how to nurture young people and be the chaplain, kind of people and help people through death, like those people, a lot of them are, are, are in the muck and the mire mm -hmm. of institutional traditional religions. Yeah. And so I think what you're doing is not just good, like helping these individuals get their, their shit back together. Right. I think it's really important because I think that you're going to release and, 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 and sort of un unleash the next generation of great community builders. Well, and it's, you know, you talk about getting together and community beyond the online. I'll be honest. I've been honest about this before. I'm not a big sitting in front of a computer chatting with people. I'm not, I'm not big on that. And honestly, I'm terrible with actually getting on the forum itself. Now I do try and log on every day and, uh, most most of what I do on the forum is sending private messages back and forth with individuals. I'm not one. I might bop into, you know, a forum conversation. I mean, even on Facebook, like I'll I'll launch a post and then there, you know, there might be all this discussion flowing from it. I don't. That's great. You guys have that whatever I posted. But right. I'm, just, I'm the same way. Yeah. You send me an email. I'll write back to you. Right. Cause like you're a person, but like the idea of a forum or like online or Facebook, like I don't do any of it. So, so I'm terrible with that. And you know, I'm the clergy, this is what we do and I'm the worst one, but 
That said, though, you know, I think it's easy for us to look at the clergy project as an organization. And maybe part of it is the name itself. It's the organization is a project. Well, what's the project? The project is creating this online forum. But the project is bigger than that. Like if you look, if, if you're a nerd like me and you actually look at things like purpose statements and stuff like that and founding documents, you know, it, it mentions the purpose is to create resources. And then it has a list of potential resources. One of them is this private online forum, but that's just one of them. Like our purpose is bigger than that. And the community, though it currently focuses on and centers on this online forum community of forums it can stretch beyond. And so like right now, one of the most exciting things we're seeing is, and that we've, we have seen for some time, but I think we're seeing it happening now more and more, uh, is groups of clergy project participants who have met through this online website deal now looking and saying, well, okay, so who's actually in my area, in my region, in my city. Now let's yeah. get together. Let's grab a beer. So some are doing it more formally. We've had, um, we've had meetups, get togethers. Um, there's been some really incredible work over the last couple years in the Ohio area with, they're all part of the clergy project group. Um, but they're saying, Hey, well, let's get together and actually meet every few months or once a year or whatever. And let's have like a little, you know, couple day gathering and they'll a retreat, yeah, a retreat. Almost, yeah. Like a retreat of sorts. And they'll get together and they'll just, they'll meet up and they'll have FaceTime and they'll share meals. You know, they'll, they'll break bread as we might've said in the past, you know, and just have a great time. And we're seeing more and more of that. Some of it's more formal like that. Others of it is more, you know, totally informal. Hey, let's just grab a beer and hang out. Um, but we're seeing more and more of that. I think we'll see more and more of that in the future. Um, also, we're looking towards experimenting with using Zoom and different online platforms where um, maybe we're not together regionally, but where we can all have like a Skype. Zoom is in essence like Skype. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but a little bit more flexible, has some more options. You can get more people together. I think Skype is what, like a max of six or nine, or maybe it's 12, something like that. Where Zoom, you can have up to 100 people and you all just get together. Though that's a little difficult to have 100. Why would you want it? Like, that sounds worse to me than anything you've you have, mentioned. Yeah, especially if it's like this. But you, all that to say, though, you have more options where then you can get together and have sort of these, hey, every, anyone who's available, we're all gathering together on Skype or Zoom at seven o'clock Wednesday, you know, Let's get together and, and, you know, it's open enrollment. Or maybe we'll have a particular, you know, coach will be there and be like, hey, let's get together. I'd love to field some questions and let's just see if we can work. So it's, basically it's talking and faces rather than typing and screens. I mean, it's still a screen, but, you know, humanizing it a little bit more in terms of the options there. I know some people would be a whole lot more interested in actually seeing and having a conversation in real time than in typing out. So just opening up the opportunities for community. Well, I'm, I'm going to leave you with this thought. Yeah. Um, and that is, first of all, I'm really hopeful about this. Like I said, I, th I feel the need for more communities. That means there's the need for more people that know how to build them. I feel like you are caring for and, and, and making possible a lot of those people to maybe come out a little less bruised, a little more strong, 
and a little more capable of getting on with the next thing, which for many of them, I think the next thing will ultimately be what good thing am I going to do in the world and how am I going to bring people together again? But the other thing is this, is that in, in every church I was ever connected to, there was, there were pastors and then there were a handful of lay people that were as invested as any pastor that were, that were hardcore. And when though, and and, and they put in their 10,000 hours. And of course, like to, to, to master Christianity and many, for many people is to abandon it. Mm-hmm. And, and when they come out, what's interesting is I almost feel like I want there to be a hardcore lay leader project because those people are very similar to your clergy yeah. in the, in, in the centrality, like in the centrality of their faith to their identity in their life and in the, and in the vast gaping kind of vacuum that gets created when that drops out. And so, yeah, I, I just think like, I think there's a lot of work to do and I'm just so grateful that you guys are, that, that, that you, I'm grateful that you are in particular in it, but I'm also grateful for just the gang that you've got gathered around you and the stuff that you're doing. And, and I hope, you know, I, I think what, 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 one of, you know, most of the listeners of this podcast are not clergy. Right. Um, yeah. Or not ex-clergy. Yeah. Yeah. But, but almost all of them know somebody. Well, and-, and that's, that's why I wanted, I, I wanted them to, I wanted them to hear you and I wanted them to sort of become sort of pro, promo people, PR people for you that sort of when they encounter somebody say, Hey, TCP, I know this thing. Well, and one thing, because we do receive a lot of contact from individuals who are not clergy, former or otherwise, uh, who are looking for that same sort of thing and are wondering if they can join. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, they're not. But what we do always do is point them toward recovering from religion in particular. Uh, They have some great resources there. Uh, it, not as much of a community component, but they have this awesome hotline, a variety of other resources. They're always doing and experimenting with uh, new, new projects and things like that, secular therapist project and various things. Um, so we do like to point people there. Uh, you know, I wish we... Yeah, I mean, they're not... I, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, yeah. They're not grown up yet. They're not, they're not grown up yet. Grown up yet either. No, I'm not sure you are. I'm not sure... I mean, I, 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 I mean like... Honestly, I think there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of one of the reasons there's a lot of work to do is because a lot of the first stages of all this stuff was so much reactionary and so much just trying to carve out space and like like we're it's you know, we're here and it's we're it's okay and we're allowed to be alive. Um and I think that there's there's a state right now where it's sort of like, yeah, let's the excitement is over. Um, let's settle down to helping people live wonderful lives. Right. right. And, and I think that, I think that that it's not like I've talked to the religion recovering from religion people. And I think like they know that they've got some work to do mm-hmm. to become capable of meeting the needs of the people that are, are coming their way. Yeah. And it sounds like you, you, you know, you know that too, that like there, there's a lot of cool stuff with the clergy project, but like, obviously there's, 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 a sense in which as long as people like you and I, when we engage with it, we go like, yeah, it's not really my way of engaging. That doesn't mean I didn't need to engage. It just means that like, I'm not an online guy. Right. And so there's more work for all of us to do in helping to create a community. So vibrant. So about good stuff. So connecting people 
to, to, to growth and to love and to friendship that they go, you know what? I don't have to stay in the church unless I really believe that stuff. Yeah. If I don't really believe that stuff, I don't have to stay for the fellowship. I don't have to stay for the mission. I don't have to stay because I want my kids to grow up with other kids that share our values. I don't have to stay for that because there's that out there. And that's, we're, we're the ones that need to build that out there. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. all right, bro, this is great. Like it was great being on here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm so like, you're my new best friend. I'll talk to you sooner than you know. <laughs> All right, baby. I'll catch you later. Sounds great. Hey, take care. Thanks for having me, Bart. Bye. So there you have it. Yeah. That was me and Drew Beckius, who I liked. Wasn't he a nice guy? I mean, I just got a good vibe off him. And I have, each time I've talked to him, I've talked to him a couple times since then. And I really do like the guy. So there. So you just heard a conversation between two people that ended up liking each other. What could be, what's bad about that? Nothing. All right, so listen, you were hanging in there for the Ingersoll quote. Here it is. It's a short one, but I like it a lot. It is only when we discard the idea of a deity, the idea of cruelty or goodness in nature, that we are able ever to bear with patience the ills of life. I feel that I am neither a favorite nor a victim. Nature neither loves nor hates me. I do not believe in the existence of any personal God. I regard the universe as the one fact, as the one existence, that is, as the absolute thing. I am a part of this. I love that. I am a part of this. So often we sort of think of ourselves as being in the universe, separate from it, sort of. Maybe that's a vestige of this kind of eternal soul thing where it's like this, you know, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. But this world is not my home. This universe is the absolute thing and I am part of it. Ah, I'm part of it. You're part of it. We're part of it. That's what Ingersoll says, and I believe him. Um, no, I shouldn't say I believe him. I agree with him. Yeah. And, uh, and I like him. And you know what? Based on the emails that I get from the people who listen to this podcast, I like you too. And uh, I hope you like me, and I hope I see you next time, or hear you next time, or talk to you next time when next time comes. For now, rock on. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org.